0: If you have your Bibles with you, if you'd like to turn to Psalm 19 as we continue our series on the Psalms. And then we'll pray. Gracious Father, we thank you again this morning to have the privilege of being here freely, under no threat, the opportunity to worship Openly and honestly before you. Lord, we thank you for the way that you reveal yourself to us. Thank you for your word you've given us. Thank you for the world around us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And I pray that you, he might speak to us today, reveal himself and yourself to us as we um, consider your word. And uh, may the Psalms be precious to us as we come to them today. In your name we pray. Amen. Sometimes people would say, if only God would reveal himself to me, then I would believe. If only God would reveal himself to me, then I would believe. Well, he has revealed himself in numerous ways down through the centuries, and none more so than through his very own son, who humbled himself to come into this world for our sakes to be the revealer of the Father and the redeemer of mankind. Listen to the words of the writer to the Hebrews as he begins his letter, Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high God has revealed himself in this world by numerous means but ultimately through his son well as we're looking through the psalms and be considering the psalms in recent days and recent weeks it causes us to realise how full of help they are, how they're full of hope and encouragement and challenge to us and comfort and teaching and instruction and ultimately what a blessing the psalms are for us And I encourage you, as I mentioned last week, to look frequently to the Psalms to find help during difficult times in your life, whether it be physical challenges that you might be facing or whether it's spiritual discouragements or whether it's issues of relationship that you're battling with or struggles to understand what God is doing in your life and around you. There's no better place to turn in God's Word than to the Psalms to find hope and encouragement and hence here we are in the psalms for a few weeks together as we saw last week there are five book divisions amongst the psalms as we looked at the various psalms uh, categories of psalms from uh, right through from psalm 1 through to psalm 150 and they're divided up uh, into five books which we don't often consider them in that way. We had a brief look at that last week. Uh, We saw that the meaning of the word psalms uh, in English comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uh, which means songs. And so the psalms were often poems and songs being sung as well as being read. We sometimes sing them as far as... uh, um, scripture and song. We've, in the past, there are a lot of scriptures out of the Psalms that have been put to song and uh, that we sometimes sing. Regarding the authorship of the Psalms, uh, we know that there are six named authors of the Psalms, David being the most prominent and prolific, having written at least 73 of them. Uh, but we looked at some of the other authors last week as well, and uh, there's quite a number of which are anonymous, and some of those quite lightly could be attributed to David's writing as well there are nine themes that I want to focus on as we go through the Psalms these are just a selection of themes um, drawn from the Psalms and so we're looking through some of those and uh, the ones that we are particularly focusing on over the next few weeks are Creation Psalms uh, Salvation History Psalms Penitential uh, Teaching and Wisdom Psalms Innocence Psalms and praise psalms and imprecatory psalms and messianic psalms. So various names there for the different psalms and we'll be looking at those as we go through. Last week we looked at Psalm 104, one of the creation psalms and today we're looking at Psalm 19, which is also a creation psalm, uh, but it's far more than just looking at the creation of the world in which we live, it it looks at the revelation of God through creation, but far more than that, far more than just through his created world. And so Psalm 19 verses 1 to 14 can be uh, pictured or described or outlined as the revelation of God and the response of people to that revelation and we're looking this morning at three aspects of the revelation of God the general revelation of God, the special revelation of God and the personal revelation of God out of those verses this morning it divides itself up quite neatly into three main sections and we'll be looking at those so let's consider uh, the general revelation of God first and foremost and obviously general revelation speaks of the creative handiwork of god around us let's read from psalm 19 the first three verses the heavens declare the glory of god and the firmament or expanse shows his handiwork day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And so general revelation is the glorious creation of God that we see all around us every day. The trees, the rocks, the earth, the sky, the water, the animals, the birds, the sun, the moon and stars and humans and so on. This is what we is known as God's general revelation because it's available to all to see. And it points us to the fact that there must be a designer. There must be someone behind this creation. If you have your faculties, you cannot really look at creation and see the intricacies of uh, the world around us and say that this just happened by chance. No, there's evidence in every created thing that there is a designer. And that's what the psalmist reminds us of. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The heavens speak of, as we saw last week, the different aspects of the heavens relate to the celestial heavens. In this case, as one part of that, the stars, the moons, the plants in the solar system. It also speaks of the atmospheric heavens, the clouds, the rain that falls upon us. And the resulting blessing of growth in our plant life uh, on our earth in which we live. And so he's saying that the heavens declare the glory of God. All these things speak of the wonderful creator who designed it all. They attest to the glory of God in his handiwork. And as he goes on in verses 2 to 4, he says, Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge there's no speech no language their voice is not heard their line has gone out through all the earth what he's really saying here is that creation is like a wordless book which speaks powerfully to us don't we remember um, many years ago um, and maybe still been used quite significantly is the little wordless books to explain the gospel they used to have five or six (coughs) colored pages in them and no words and each of those pages speak speak of the the gospel message i think it went something like green black red white yellow and not sure was another green on the end i can't remember but um And they speak of God's creation, God's perfect plan for his world. Uh, Blackness speaks of the sin that came into the world and destroyed uh, the work of God in that way. Um, The red speaks of uh, the the blood of Jesus who was poured out upon the cross to save us. And uh, the white speaks of the purity that comes through the cleansed life by the blood of Christ. And then the yellow speaks of the eternal future that we have in Christ like the wordless book, and creation is like that. Creation speaks to us of a creator-designer. It doesn't have to say words, but it speaks so powerfully, and that's what the psalmist is saying here. Their words have gone out to the ends of the world, even though their voice is not heard, and um, their speech and their language of creation covers all cultures and all languages. But then the psalmist goes on in verses 5 and 6 and he specifies within this creative work of God, uh, he talks about the sun. Listen to verses 5 and 6 or end of verse 4. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end and there is nothing hidden from its heat. In the heavens, God has placed our sun. It's our source of light and our source of heat. It's dominant in the heavens, in our heavens around us. And he, here the psalmist says, it's like a bridegroom, bridegroom coming excitedly out of his house on his wedding day. The sun rises in the morning. And like a champion racer, running racer on his course, the sun mates, makes its circuit. Now, we may think that this is poetic language used to describe the appearance of the sun moving across our skies. Even as we still say, the sun rises and the sun sets. Yet knowing that it's not the sun moving, but the earth rotating on its own axis that provides us with day and night, and the earth orbiting the sun each year, which gives us our seasons. But the sun is actually on the move as well because our sun actually orbits the centre of the Milky Way galaxy. And the sun is no slouch in getting going in the morning on its journey. Because in a 12-month period, I'm led to believe that our sun actually travels around 7.26 billion kilometres in one year. So there's nothing stationary about the sun's movements, and in the meantime, we are revolving and rotating and orbiting around the sun at the same time. All of this to, just to remind us that we have an amazing God who has designed this incredible universe and made this earth, this earth habitable for us humans to survive and flourish on. Without burning up with extreme heat, without freezing to death with extreme cold, he has given us the Son to sustain us on the earth in which he has placed us. Then the psalmist comes to the special revelation of God as he talks about in verses 7 to 11, this wonderful law of God. He says, The law of God is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than than gold. So now he moves on from general revelation to special revelation. General revelation points to the Creator God but doesn't explain what God's redemptive plan for humanity and his world really are. But his special revelation and specific revelation does because special revelation is the word of God, the law as he describes it here. The law of God is perfect, converting the soul. Thomas Constable says the revealed word of God has the same dominant influence over humankind as the sun does over nature. Whereas the sun restores natural life, the law restores the life of the human soul. The sun dispels physical darkness, but the word of God removes the darkness of ignorance from our understanding. It is flawless and reliable. David, the author of this psalm, uses several different words to describe the law of God and different aspects of the law of God. And the overarching word he uses is the law, uh, which is perfect and complete, he says there in verse 7. And so he uses words like testimony and statutes and commandments, the fear of the law, the judgments of the Lord and all these describe different aspects of the law of God that we have in our scripture the w- the word fear of the Lord here is a synonym for the whole of the law because uh, the knowledge of God's law it puts fear and rever- reverential trust in people's hearts as they trust in God and so the fear of the Lord is the way the law is designed to make us trust completely in God himself as we recognize who he is through his law the law was designed to cause believers to obey God and to lead righteous lives and he says that this will bring joy to their hearts rejoicing to the heart and bring wisdom to their minds and hunger to their souls the law is perfect Converting the soul. The Word of God has the power to change the direction of our life, change us from pursuing our own selfish ambitions to humbling ourselves before the Lord, trusting in His Son to save us and finding eternal security in Him. In verses 10 and 11, He says, More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. One commentator commentator says these words David regarded the words of God as more valuable than gold, the most expensive substance in his day, and more pleasing and satisfying than honey. The sweetest substance. God's words warned him of error and danger, and they brought him rewards of many kinds as he followed them. And so we see that God's general revelation is intended to point us to the designer God who created our universe so that we might seek out Him through His specific revelation of His word. And then David mentions the personal revelation. Verses 12 and 13, he says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression." General revelation is designed to turn people to look to the special revelation from God, the scriptures, which in turn is designed to bring us to the point of great personal revelation of ourselves. As we read God's word, as we expose ourselves to the law of God, it brings us to that reality of our own capacity and actions of sin and rebellion against God and the great need that we have for reliance upon him and his redemptive work through his son Jesus Christ to save us. That's why he speaks of the law of being able to convert the soul from a selfish, sinful independence and turn us around to live in dependence on God for forgiveness and cleansing and new spiritual life. As 1 John 1.9 tells us, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here he mentions in verses 12 and 13 about our secret faults. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. That means that sins are committed in ignorance that we weren't planning to commit. But then he talks about presumptuous sins. And presumptuous sins speak of willful violations or sinning deliberately. And David asks that he would be kept from committing those sins. That he would have the strength and the wisdom to not pursue that path of sinning. I'm sure you know what presumptuous sins are. Those times when someone has done something to you and you know that you should forgive, but you don't want to. And you choose not to. Or you know that you should hold your tongue and not say what immediately comes to mind when someone has wronged you or offended you, but you think it would be more satisfying to let rip with a mouthful of harsh words. To get it off your chest, so to speak. But afterwards you realise that it wasn't really satisfying, it actually made you ashamed. All that desire to hang on to bitterness in your heart for what someone has hurt you with. Not realising until sometime later that you're only hurting yourself by the bitterness withheld in your heart. David knew what these kinds of sins were like because he had committed them. He knew what it was like to choose to violate the law of God. To go against what he knew was the right thing to do. And so he asked for protection. He asked for wisdom. He asked for restraint to not pursue that path again. So that he might remain blameless in the sense of not sinning in the future through presumptuous sins. He says, Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. But he was also aware of the wonderful forgiveness of God when he did sin. As he describes in Psalm 32. Psalm 51 is a psalm which speaks about David's great request of forgiveness of God after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then Psalm 32 was written subsequent to that and speaks of the joy he found in his heart after he knew he was forgiven. And so he says these words at the beginning of Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Old David expresses joy in his heart knowing he's been forgiven. He's found forgiveness from God for the sin he committed. So what's our response to God's revelation? David says in verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The enlightenment of God's revelation in our lives, both general and specific, through the work of the Holy Spirit, should bring us to the place of recognition of our own sin against God and the reception of his wonderful plan of redemption through his Son who died on the cross, took our place to pay the penalty for our sins. And that then should lead us to a desire for sweet fellowship with our Lord as we live out our days our life here on earth in relationship with him, day by day for the rest of our life. David's cry is that what we speak, what we think, what we meditate on, will be acceptable to our God, who is our rock and our redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength or my rock and my redeemer. This is what fellowship is. Fellowship is a communion with God, with our Lord daily. It's not just knowing about him, but it's knowing him in personal relationship. It's enjoying him, sharing with him everything, every part of our lives, seeking his direction for every aspect of our future ahead of us. This is what God wants to have with us, that relationship, that fellowship, that mutual communion, which enables us to stay at peace, even through the waves of hardship and challenge and turmoil around us. In the world in which we live. I just want to conclude this morning by reading a few verses from 1 John chapter 1, which speaks about this wonderful fellowship and communion, the sharing of our lives together with the Lord, that he speaks about in 1 John 1, verses 1 to 7. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life he's speaking of jesus the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the father and was manifested to us that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is saying that the relationship, the communion, the fellowship that he has with the Father and with the Son can be shared amongst believers. We can have that fellowship together. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. from all sin. That's the wonder of the relationship that we can have with God is to experience genuine fellowship and communion with him day by day in the inner recesses of your heart and mind to know him, to share life with him and let him share his life in us and through us. May we have the opportunity and appreciate the privilege it is to know the God who created this universe to that capacity of wanting to have a relationship with us individually that we can enjoy with him forever. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Saviour and Redeemer. We thank you for the fellowship that we can have with you because of him. We thank you that, Lord Jesus, we have fellowship with you on the basis of your death and resurrection we can experience the forgiveness of sins and restored spiritual life so that we are eternal beings that will live on in through eternity in your presence and even now we can experience that wonder of relationship with you in our very lives in our minds and hearts we can know and enjoy talking with you at any time of the day or night thank you lord for fellowship what it really means for us as believers in jesus christ lord we thank you that you have desired this relationship we didn't pursue it but you pursued us and thank you lord that we can respond to you to your general revelation your specific revelation and your personal revelation in our hearts even today, thank you for what Jesus has done for us. May that reality be as each one, we pray. In your name, amen.